When the 2020 Olympics were postponed, it left a planet of athletes' dreams dashed. But with the focus off the Games, we were left with a different story to tell. One that at first glance isn't obvious, but in light of the shit show that is 2020, it's an incredibly personal and powerful one. This week on Thereabouts Outspoken. Howdy sports fans, Angus here. Welcome to another episode of the Thereabouts Outspoken podcast. This week, I'm going it alone as Isaac is currently on the road. Literally, he was supposed to be here with me recording this week's episode, uh, but he hasn't been answering his phone since he left Portland on Wednesday. Whatever, I'm sure he's fine. And, you know, as they say, the show must go on. Today's episode touches on a lot of different topics, but at its heart, it is a journey of healing. Today we talk about Christy Birch and Ashton Lambie's idiosyncratic rise to the top of USA Cycling, as well as the off-script way they handled their career goals being derailed by COVID-19. At the heart of our conversation is a message to the power of finding your own place when it seems that there isn't one for you, and never relinquishing who you are or what you stand for. In a year that has seen the world suffer a health crisis and a month where the world has taken to the streets in a demand for racial equality, we have been trying to figure out where sport fits into the picture as a positive catalyst for progress and for change. I recently spoke with basketball legend Reggie Miller about the role of sport in a time like this, and his comment was that sport has the power to heal and the power to provide a platform of example. We have seen major changes in the NFL and the NASCAR over the last week, and we are hoping that in the sport of cycling, we will see the same. In light of that, we got to thinking about how sport can bring about the healing Reggie was talking about, and a change, but in more subtle and personal ways. That brings us to the stories of Chris and Ashton, as told by Ashton and Chris. G'day, Chris and Ashton. Uh, welcome to Thereabouts Outspoken. How how are you guys doing? What's been happening? Uh, it's been good. Um, I'm uh, currently just kind of hanging out, training in Nebraska. Um, got a good setup here, so still kind of still kind of training. Um, it's been it's been pretty mellow. Uh, doing a lot of gym stuff here, and then a lot of uh, like bigger projects that I haven't had time for, you know, just been traveling a ton the last three years. This has been like the longest I've been home and probably I don't, I haven't figured it out, but definitely like the longest I've been home in the last year. So kind of getting caught up on projects and like, uh, yeah, just doing, doing stuff around the farm. It's been really good. It's been nice being home. I'm actually probably the opposite of Ashton. He's right. Like we've been on the national team circuit, just traveling non-stop for the last two years and it seems like I still haven't quite landed um so after you know the last last couple months I have been in between Colorado Los Angeles Phoenix Arizona and now I'm finally in um, central Montana really rural but it's the cattle ranch that my dad grew up on and so I'm basically in the middle of nowhere the nearest town with a grocery store is 27 miles away 
and uh, spending a lot of time just out here on the gravel roads by myself or out working with the cows. How do you two know each other? How did you two become friends? Jeez. So I can't, I'm sure that we met at, at some USA Cycling camp in Colorado Springs at one point, but the defining, I think, point of our friendship was hanging out in Mallorca in 2018. It would have been 2018. We had a camp there before uh, World. World Championships when it was in Appledorn. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I had already been in Europe racing for a couple of weeks, and I was super homesick, and I didn't know anybody. And Ashton was probably the most mellow guy on the team. And I was like, this is exactly the kind of energy I need in my life right now. Like, you know, let's hang out. Well, and I remember, like, I was still, like, brand new to track cycling as well. I remember, I, I think we met... Or I might have just like said something or like he borrowed my pump or something super basic like that at T-Town. That's right. The season before that 2017. Because I remember no, like getting into track and knowing like you and like Hugo Barrett and a handful of other like sort of regional like track like superstars and being like, oh my God, that's, that's Christina Birch. Like she's got so many national titles. I would love to win a national title someday. And... uh I mean, that's, that's my memory of T-Town. Like, that cracks me up now. You're both track riders, right? So this is, uh, for our listeners, it's velodrome, you know, typically 250 meters around, uh, made out of wood, very, very steep. Riders go around on a bike with no brakes, uh, and, and the uh, cranks are fixed to the rotation of the wheel. So, you know, slowing down and that sort of stuff becomes quite tricky. Um, what... Before we kind of continue on, what what are both of your events? What what do you specialize in? So we're we're both endurance riders, but I definitely tend a little bit more towards the bunch races. So things like the Madison, in which you have you know one partner that you're racing with, or I I love like the Omnium events, points race, things like that, and I also do team pursuit. And how about you, Ashton? I just do uh, team and individual pursuit. I'm very like very okay with how bad my bike handling skills are and like my bunch racing skills. Uh, even sometimes like we've had, like we've been training on the track together and I'm like, Hey, don't, don't can I, can we swear on here? I'm like, don't fucking touch me. Like, <laughs> I don't bump elbows with people, man. Like even team pursuit. I'm like, you guys are a little too close. Like let's just back off a little bit. Oh, that's my favorite part. I'm like, can I just make this person a little bit more uncomfortable? Yeah. And when did you, Christina, when did you start on the track? When did you get a feel? Because this racing is something that if you haven't grown up with it, um, at least in my experience, right, I grew up racing on the track. It was like, it's, it can be frightening. Oh, dude, I feel like I have been playing catch up for the first couple of years of my professional career. Um, I had a little bit of exposure to the track racing uh, collegiate track cycling. Um, but the velodrome I learned on was an old go-kart track. So at its steepest, it was 6% in the turns. Very different than the, you know, 42-degree banking uh, in, of LA or any other velodrome. When were you like, oh, I'm going to, you know, try and go to the Olympic Games. I, I want to be, you know, one of the best uh, track riders in the entire world. 
I took a huge leap in the fall of 2015. I left, I had just graduated um, and I left Boston, drove across the country with all of my shit in my two-door Honda Civic to Los Angeles where we have the only world-class you know, competition velodrome and was like, all right, cool, I'm gonna try this. And I did some of the local racing and I sucked. And I was like, okay, recalibrate. We had a lot of work to do and let's go. So basically since the, the I remember watching the last Olympic games and watching the girls race um, and being like, okay, that's the standard. That's where I have to go. And how about you, Ashton? Like when, when were you like, oh, I'm going to get on the boards? Like again, the, the, I can't imagine there's too many velodromes out in, in Nebraska, right? Um, when did you make that decision that this is what I'm going to do? Um, well, I first tried it when down in Lawrence, Kansas and, uh, like I'd always, I've always been like a little bit more muscular than a lot of the other like ultra distance guys within the gravel community. And so someone told me about, uh, a grass velodrome that they had made like sort of next door to a cross course in Lawrence. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, my buddy's got a, he's got a steamroller, like, uh, uh, like a, a grass or like a wider tire track bike and i was like yeah man let's go try this and so like i went there the first day i got a new track record for like the uh the 3k pursuit and the kilo and i was like oh all right like i'm all right at um and then uh yeah i mean it kind of escalated quickly after that of like racing that bike in boulder san diego florida went to t-town that summer and then won my first nationals that later that year. So it would have been like within the first year, pretty much. Wait, we we need to back up a little bit here. I just sorry, I just need to get my head around the the grass velodrome. So they steamroll. Like, is it banked? What sort of bikes are you riding? Like, what on earth is going on? So the bike, the steamroll is the Surly steamroller. Oh, so that, that's like literally the bike that you're, it's not, it's not an action, sorry, so I was, I'm, okay, here's what I'm picturing, I'm picturing like a putting green, but in a track format. That's nicer than the ground, like right. it's, when the, when it's not track season, it's like they just use it for hay, so like, <laughs> it's basically just like, uh, super bumpy, it's dead ruts flat, everywhere. yeah, ruts, the pole line is like one dirt rut. That's like the black line. Um, and then, you know, there's like, there's hay bales off in the background. Uh, and then like, yeah, they just mow it for like six weeks a year, eight weeks. That's the track season. And then the rest of the time it's just used for hay. It's sick. Dude, dude who cares about the Olympic Games? Um, how about just like, just having a career on the grass track? Just before we move on, <clears throat> you said you set a lap record. I mean, a, 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 a course record or a track record for uh, the three kilometer pursuit what is it what is your grass track three kilometer pursuit personal record and what is your wooden track olympic class velodrome full setup record for a three kilometer pursuit i've never done i honest i honestly don't remember uh what my time was i i remember the strava like i got the kom for one lap on the course that was like 30 miles an hour I don't know what that would be on a 333, but I remember doing that and being like, I'm absolutely going to like just slide out because it's dead flat. So you're hooking around these corners at 30 miles an hour. 
with no banking on grass that's still holding it that's okay that's faster than i thought i sort of thought that you know i sort of thought you'd be going max at like 20 mile an hour and it's kind of this hilarious slow race where you just feel like you're in sinking sand and you're just melting away okay so the races are slow yeah right 30 mile an hour uh, is sort of what you were doing for the fastest lap time just for the to give a comparison on the track you're doing a single lap you're doing 50 mile an hour 40 mile an hour probably like on a 4k i would average like almost 40 miles an hour <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous today i want to talk about um or we want to get to the reason i'm i've got both of you sitting in this room is um because of a road trip that the two of you had once you know the covid 19 kind of shut down the olympic training center and you know thus the rest of the world um first of all chris how did you land on that? How did you land on the track team, and how did you find yourself uh, in in Colorado Springs? Well, I first got pulled into the track team after I won my first like elite track national championship in the individual pursuit. I think that was that same year in T Town that Ashton and I met. Um, but I started going to camps and then got kind of roped into a couple of races in Europe, and it just kind of built, and so. I've just been steadily getting better and refining the craft and just putting in the work, man. Um, And so then, you know, enough persistence and, you know, managed to get residency status at the Olympic Training Center. And, um, yeah, just working towards that Olympic spot. So that's what I see was there for what was supposed to be the final selection camp for, like, the short team. Right. And Ashton, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was the same path. Like I won my first national title in 2017 in the individual pursuit. Um, and so it was a real quick like, all right, hey, here's how to do team pursuit changes. All right, go ride a team pursuit in Canada. And I raced my first World Cup later that season. For how many years has it been the Olympic Games in Tokyo been what you're shooting for, the kind of the bullseye on the, on the dartboard? Oh, the last three years, yeah. How had both of the seasons been going so far this year for the two of you? It's funny because Ash and I I talk about this a fair bit because we are, to be blunt, sort of experiencing the same kind of problems trying to get to the Olympic Games, but, but on different ends of the spectrum of the team. You know, he's probably on the very pointy end of the men's side, and I'm on the bubble end of the women's side, right? I, I happen to be on the team with, you know, Chloe and Jen, who are the best track riders of all time that USA Cycling has ever seen, that the world has ever seen, right? So this is a real inconvenient time to try to go to the Olympics. Um, and so, I mean, I think, like, I think I personally have had way more success than I probably initially expected, like, when I first started riding, especially thinking back to when I started doing the local LA races and, you know, was getting beat um, early on, you know, to have turned that around this last year and have gotten world cup medals, um, both in the team pursuit and in the Madison, which I'm really proud of. Like that was huge. I mean, I'm still setting power records, which is awesome. Um, but it, it's, there's a lot more at play than just like one person's physical ability. Right, right. And Ashton, I, I know you're at the pointy end of the team, but tell me, like, uh, 
how your season's been going this far. Like, personally, I feel like, yeah, this last season was uh, probably one of the best ones I've had. Like, we had, um, you know, I had a silver medal and world championships for individual pursuit. Like, that was about as good as I thought I was was ever going to get. Um, you know, a World Cup... Uh, World Cup medal in the individual pursuit. Um, you know, with Hoob Watt Bike, we had some really good uh, times down in Brisbane. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, with the men's team, unfortunately, we just didn't have the results that we needed to go to the games. So, you know, that was like, uh, like our coach always said, you know, like I kind of view this as a math problem. Um, and so it was kind of like looking at the, the points and the times that we were doing, it was kind of apparent that we weren't going to make the cut, you know, with everyone else making these huge steps up. Um, and, you know, it was kind of like, ah, I don't think we're going to, but, um, you know, it always kind of hits hard when it's like the final ride and you're like, well, okay, that's it. We're done. How many times have you broken the world record? And when was, and when was the last time you, you set a, a world benchmark in the individual pursuit? Uh, I've broken it three times. The last time would have been Pan Am Championships in Bolivia. That would have been 2019. Right. So you set a world record in 2019. Uh, you finished second at the Olympic uh, at the World Championships um, this year. Uh, but be, but you but you can't go to the Olympic Games. Why is that? Like the 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 I feel like you're the second fastest in the world. You should be like you know lining up to potentially win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. Like what's the just to explain to people why that's not the case. Well, there's two there's two reasons, right? Like one, one individual pursuit isn't an event. Two, uh, only national teams are allowed to go. Like the other the other half of that is that if Who Watt Bike was its own nation, uh, we would have had enough points to go. Like we right. we were in the rankings enough that like we would have been top eight. We would have been qualified to go. But it's a mixed nationality team. Uh, and actually, like, not a nation. Um, so, yeah, that was it, man. World Cups are... And now we can't even do World Cups. Really? So you can't even... It's it's all done now? Yeah, right. the UCI I... banned trade teams. Yeah, okay. I can see how that, in the logic of the Olympic Games being the end goal, and, like, to your point, if, if, if Hoob Walk Bike uh, was a nation, then it would you know qualify but at the same time like there's no money in in national squads anymore and so the the changing dynamic of track racing is i'm sure you've been over this a million times what did you what did you do when you found out you couldn't go right you've got all this condition right you've been building for this for years you're like pretty effing good uh what'd you do uh well i mean like you know just turning all the focus to world championships and being like all right this is my last thing um, you know, that was kind of when all the COVID stuff was like starting to take off. Right. Uh, and I don't think we quite knew what it was going to be. So I think it's like, that was a big one. Um, and then, you know, still focusing on the potential for, uh, the world record attempts with those guys, like who bought, who bought bike, our next event would be going down to Bolivia with the specific intent to just break the individual pursuit, team pursuit, our kilo world records oh right so like a whole campaign like the whole team yeah 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 and chris um ashton just mentioned at the beginning of that talking about selection for the olympic games is it's a math problem 
how were the numbers shaping up for you? Like, were you sort of, you know, you said you were initially on the edge of the bubble, but then, you know, you were sort of maybe a little bit more in the mix. What, what were you, were you sort of in your head? Were you there yet? Or were you almost there? Yeah. So I think I can give you my biased perspective and I don't think it's particularly shared uh, necessarily by everyone. Um, right. The people that are making selections, but from, for everyone that is, you know, working towards, you know, the selection criteria, right. You can get on the team a number of ways. One is ride a really fast team pursuit time. I've done that. I'm like out of all the riders that have done team pursuit, I have like, I'm, there's four riders that have gone faster than me. And then I've gone the fifth fastest and you need five riders to ride a team pursuit with an alternate. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, the other way is to, Medal in the Madison. Well, I've done that. And only two riders have done both, like making the team pursuit squad through that selection and through the Madison. And I'm one of them. Um, and then <laughs> this little, like, fucking stitch in my side in the selection criteria. The third thing is coach's discretion. You can do none of those things. You can not ride a fast team pursuit. You cannot medal in a Madison, you cannot ride the Omnium and you can still make the Olympic team, the short Olympic team. Why might, why might they do that? Because they have a rider, they have a, they have a rider they see is on a great trajectory that has many more Olympics to come. I'm 33 years old, right? Sure. I'm still PRing. I'm still setting power records. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm still improving, but I'm 33 years old. I came to the sport late, you know, like, I can totally see someone be like, oh, no, that's like not what we want to deal with. That isn't the pretty picture we want to paint. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm still fighting for it because I have to believe at the end of the day that my legs will say something. Um, and, you know, I just have to hope that the selections will be as, un, as objective and unbiased as possible. But what we know about national governing bodies is, uh, you know, I'm also kind of a realist. So, right. I was going to say it's a uh, same bullshit, different country. Um, me being from Australia, obviously. That's uh, well, you know, I, I hope as 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 uh, time goes on that the objectivity of your results speak for themselves. Ashton, you, sorry, I just sort of missed a, a question there. How were you traveling for your world record attempt in Bolivia? How was how was that preparation coming along? How were you feeling about that? Because like I and like I've been I sort of follow uh, the individual pursuit over the years. I you know, obviously Chris Boardman set the record back in 96 or 7. Um, it wasn't until 2011 that uh, Jack Bobridge, <laughs> what a character! Jack Bobridge uh, broke that record, and then it wasn't for another four years until you came along and broke his record, and then and then it was like quite a quick succession. You broke it, I think, yourself twice in a row. Ghana came along um, and broke it, and, and now currently holds it. And it's like down near four minutes. What is the world record at the moment? Four oh one. Yeah, I feel That's- like. Uh- yeah, I mean, um, you know, ecstasy sales for me have been through the roof, so I'm following that Bobridge trajectory really well. Uh, nice to know you got a fullback. Yeah, for sure. You know, you gotta have you gotta have a plan B. You know, um, 
No, I feel like preparation was going really well. I mean, like, uh, it w- like I would say the Minsk World Cup was like a kind of disappointing result um, for me. I knew I could do better than that. And I think it was that like tough balance between like, all right, hey, you're on the team pursuit squad. You have to do these sessions, um, you know, and then coming into world championships and being like, all right, I want to do my preparation this way. This is how I'm going to do it. I know what works. Like I've been doing this long enough where I kind of know my body. So to show up and do everything the way I wanted at world championships and then back that up with like a really good time for me, I was super stoked. And I think like uh, a sea level 403, like that bodes pretty well for, you know, what I could do at Bolivia. Um, And I think that's kind of like, I bet, regardless of what happens with the COVID thing within the next 18 months, like someone uh, is going to go sub four in an individual pursuit for like, yeah. And it's exciting. Like, I don't know who it's going to be. There's a lot of factors at play. I'm stoked to see it happen between one of us. Uh, Yeah. It's exciting. It's going to be awesome. Four kilometers. That's from a standing start, getting the bike up to speed um and doing the four kilometers in four minutes so 60 kilometer an hour on average that's like roughly 30 what mile an hour sorry 60 yeah 60 kilometers 30 what mile an hour like 38 miles an hour push pause go out onto the street if you're listening to this get in your car and drive down the road at 38 miles an hour like it's not you're not it's not messing around now try and do that on a bike from a standing start you were hoping to do four minutes you were hoping to go sub four minutes like you know what were you what were you aiming for yeah yeah, I mean, I think sub four was absolutely the goal. Um, I mean, it was my second time at Bolivia. Like, I was going, I'd been, you know, post, I think I was home for a little bit afterwards and then came out to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I was hoping to get some some altitude training in the springs um, and have really good prep coming into Bolivia. We were going to be there for, like, three weeks beforehand. So we had plenty, like, that's even higher elevation. So Colorado's at, like, 5,000 feet, have track access. Um, we would have had access to the OTC. Uh, there were, you know, higher elevations I could stay at. And then, uh, yeah, Bolivia was like 8,500 feet. So, I mean, it's up there for sure. Damn. And now the shit hits the fan. Um, tell me about this shutdown phase. It came in steps, right, for everybody. It was sort of like each day something new would happen. No one really knew what was going on. How was that for you guys? You know, you've got this intense focus and then this starts to happen. I mean, I, so my background is in biological engineering. And so I'm watching this happen starting like in January going, shit's going to, shit's going to be big. Like this is not going to be good. You know, um, I'm, I was actually surprised that they held world championships in the same capacity without much change. But I think they, I think we basically snuck that event right in there. So I'm at the OTC gearing up for like this intense selection camp, just sort of watching gyms close, training facilities close one step at a time. Like athletes are having to leave the OTC and I'm just waiting for this call that I feel is inevitable, but you have to absolutely fake it in case, you know, this half a percent chance that we're still going to have a camp, but they're still going to make selections this year. And it just was 
exhausting to keep up that front until the official call was made. I'm just picturing in my mind, and this is like a double Stanley Kubrick reference here, but this is like, I'm picturing in my mind this shutdown process where like slowly people are leaving, but you're the only one there. I'm picturing like The Shining where you're just like the only one in this giant hotel or like, 2000, or like 2001 where he's just like the only dude on the spaceship. Um, what was the feeling? Like, was it, were you just like, what? Like, because it's sort of this thing that like, oh, there's this elephant in the room and like all this shit's going on behind doors and then no one's actually talking about it openly. Well, it was like, so as soon as Colorado officially shut down all the training facilities and the gyms and things like that, the training center is considered a training facility and we also lost access to the track. And so we couldn't train on the track. We couldn't use the gym. But luckily as cyclists, right, we can go out on the road. And that was this this weird like yeah sort of fake training regimen that we had and every every day and literally maybe an hour before we were supposed to go out and ride we would the training would come down the pipeline and be like well we're gonna go do three hours today and you're sort of like okay thanks mission control but why like what's the point like we're we're still lost in space here and waiting for any sort of sign of direction meanwhile all these other athletes like figure skaters, wrestlers, swimmers, none of them can access their facilities. They've all gone home. And so I think at one point there was maybe 12 cyclists or paracyclists of the OTC and that's it. You know, maybe a, a, a very basic staff of five people that all seemed to be in the cafeteria at the same time. And we couldn't eat in the cafeteria. We couldn't have more than five, five athletes picking up their food at one time. So it was this really weird conveyor belt, you know, personal space machine the whole time. And it was just surreal. That sounds it. And what, what, what about you, Ashton? Where were you? What were you doing when this, this sort of process started happening? Mine was a little bit different since I mm -hmm. wasn't on campus. Um, one of the things I've been working on is actually uh, I've got this 85 Chevy uh, that'll come up later in the story that I was camping, like living in the back of just to um, be up there, be training, be at altitude, have access to the track. I was like, okay, well, just do my own camp out here, live in the back of my truck. Uh, a buddy of mine, John Croom, let me stay in his driveway. And so I was like staying in his driveway, showering there. Um, and then every you know, like if I had a big long ride, I might go up to a uh, higher elevation camp up there and do the ride at like 9,000 feet or something. Um, so it was nice to have a little bit more mobility and more like agency, like control over my training. So that didn't hit quite as hard, but then it was like, you know, two days after I got up there, it was like, oh, you can't use the track. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, like the event's not canceled, so you know, I guess I'll just stay up here. And then like a few days later, they were like, well, we're probably not going to do the event, but it still might happen. And I was like, okay, there's no way, like, just make the call, man. Like, that was the hardest mm. thing of like, you don't know 100% that it's not going to happen. So you just have to keep pretending that it's going to happen, even though everyone's like, oh, yeah, man, it's probably not going to happen. But you're like, well, that doesn't mean I, I probably just can't stop training. Like, you just keep doing it hoping it's going to happen. Chris, where were you when, when you found out like they were finally, like finally, like it's not happening, we're not going? And what, what was that like for you? I mean, I'm, 
I'm pretty sure I woke up one morning in my like barracks cell block of a room in the dorm um, and like checked, checked my phone and was like, okay, there it is, the official announcement. Like, and I think it was, it was a lot of relief, like fucking finally, uh, you know, I can, I can actually, like Ashton said, have some agency over what I'm going to do with my, with my day. You know, I, when, when we're at these camps, your life is absolutely scripted for you from your AM workout to your PM workout and the meal times in between. And finally I was like, okay, I can breathe and be an adult, you know? And how about you, Ashton? Like when did they finally, was it around the same time that they were just, they, they, they canned your event and you were, how was that for you? Yeah, it was around the same time. I don't, I don't remember the exact dates to be honest, but uh yeah it was like i've been up there two weeks or so i think yeah i don't i don't i don't remember the exact date it was just talking with uh like johnny and dan and like all oh, the events probably not going to happen and then it was like oh they're actually using the track in bolivia as a hospital and i was like well that sounds like we're really not going to have the event <laughs> But they're still like, but we're still kind of hopeful. <laughs> yeah, but it might, you know, it might, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> oh man, the blind optimism of uh, of bike racing. Um, I do want to just, I also just want to note, by the way, like the the picture of you like sleeping in your truck, training to be like the fastest man on earth is just such like an incredible, that, that's soup, that's that's sick. There's no other way, like that's that's like that's like some rocky shit right there. Um, I just needed to, to highlight that. Okay, so... Everything's off, all cancelled. You've gone from having, you know, like almost every second of your day controlled and planned and thought out by, you know, the the mission control. What do you do? The great COVID escape. How do you two formulate your response um, to the situation? I think uh, I, I was probably <laughs> struggling a bit more than, than Ashton, I think, because I was... I think officially grieving the loss of, you know, the 2020 Olympic games and having come into this camp with so much fitness to do nothing with. Um, And I think, you know, I I felt relief that the call was finally made, but then it was sort of like this overwhelming just sense of loss and, and not sure what to do. Um, and so I like I needed to get back to LA at some point uh, to you know to my to my things to my family and I think I knew I knew myself well enough that you know driving for two days straight by myself in a bad headspace was maybe not the safest thing to do um, and so you know I I was talking to Ashton about this and. I think I think he offered to to come with and babysit me. Um, I was honestly super excited to take the truck out. Like I'd been working on this for it's my old high school truck, and uh, it was like I'd done a lot of work on it, and so I was like really amped up. I was like, man, classic like American road trip. Like we're gonna this is like such a good first run for this truck. So I want to just jump in there. The great COVID escape has been born. Let's talk the key characters. Chris and Ashton, 
and Martin, who you've 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 referenced already. What's 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 Martin's story? Let's get let's get a little background on Martin. So Martin, uh, my dad bought bought me the truck uh, in Nebraska. You can drive when you're like 14. You can get a school permit. Um, so yeah, bought the truck. Uh, oh, it would have been 2004. Um, and then I drove to school for a few years. Um, it was like sort of my dad runs a landscape company. So then for a few years, like um, I had a different car and uh, that was he was like the maintenance truck for the landscape company just because like it was a little bit older, only a half ton and they needed like three quarter tons. Um, and then he had recently been like sitting in the garage and I don't remember why I had the idea to turn him into a camper. Just like, it'd be kind of cool. It was really fun. Uh, I think I tried bikepacking a couple times and I was like, I don't know, man, this is like pretty rugged. I would want something a little bit cozier than this. Uh, you know, I can like take snacks and like, travel a long ways in one day and like sleep inside like you know pretty soft stuff like that i mean you know where i'm coming from like sometimes you're just like you know what man i've had too many days of mosquitoes and like it's hot as fuck like i don't want to sleep outside my car is pretty nice you know um and i think it's just like over like taking that that hurdle of like all right what what do i need to mentally prepare myself for to get out the door and like go explore shit and taking that level down a little bit and making that more accessible of like, all right, it's just a truck. I keep it packed all the time. If I want to drive out to wherever I decide to this weekend, like I just need to fill the water jug and go. Like, you know, it's a little bit easier than planning a whole bike packing trip. Um, so I've been working on the build for Martin and uh, yeah, like it's basically just a few sheets of plywood. Um and uh, yeah, Kuat helped out. I'm not sure you measured anything. For the uh, for the, for the listeners here, uh, Chris is shaking her head and uh, putting her hand over her eyes and laughing in a kind of like mixture of um, I don't even know what you would call it, like kind of like fond memory. But then, like, I'm really glad this is over. A bit of trauma in there. Well, it was also like questionable mechanicals, right? Like the truck is. <laughs> you know a registered antique uh the odometer only goes up to ninety-nine thousand miles so we're not sure if it has 140,000 miles or 240,000 miles um and i'm i'm a trained engineer and so to have someone not measure not measure a build or like plan it out beforehand and just kind of wing it is it makes me so <laughs> fundamentally upset there's too many cardboard shims in there for you <laughs> there were a lot of cardboard shims oh my god cardboard shims aren't a thing by the way they're not a thing that's what you can't you can't call a cardboard a piece of cardboard a shim okay so we've got the setup we've got the premise martin he's you know a little old but he's you know he's got rustic charm Tell me about the trip. Like, what were the best moments? How, you know, how did it play out? And, like, what did it give you guys in terms of, like, the ability to kind of recover or rebuild? Rebuild, as you as you guys wrote to me, um, after this trip that you guys had had. 
Well, I grew up in the American Southwest and, and I'm here in Montana and I grew up doing lots of drives back and forth. So basically any set of roads between California and Oklahoma, north to south, between Arizona and Montana, I've taken. And I was really excited to kind of return to some of those smaller roads, the real, the real off, off the beaten path ones that you're not quite sure the last time they were paved. Um, but to just kind of reconnect with myself and being alone and see some of these, some of these roads and, and places that I haven't been to since the last car trip I did with my dad um, or my family. And so it, I was pretty stoked to share that with someone new um, and just to, to, to really truly be in the middle of nowhere because some of those locations when you're in the middle of a, of a reservation and there's no town within 100 miles in any direction and it's just this desert plateau with these huge monuments, you know, a couple hundred miles apart that are thousands of feet high, you're just like, well, this is, here I am in the middle of my own existential mess and in this beautiful valley and we have this great fucking cup of coffee and I am okay. Like that for me, that moment, that one, that one cup of coffee at an intersection somewhere in New Mexico or Arizona mm -hmm. was when I was like, I'm going to be okay. And how about for you, Ashton? I, I drove for a lot of it because Martin's like, you kind of just got to have a feel for it. He's very temperamental. Like you got to get to know him a little bit. Um, and like having Chris navigate and then realizing that like the interstate wasn't necessarily the fastest way because like Martin, the speedometer only goes up to 85. So that's like absolute full gas, but like 70 is like screaming. So 65 is like great. So we took a lot of back roads and I think, um, we were, like when we were on highway 66, that was really fun. All the Burma shave signs. All the Burma shave signs. Um, I know that so well. <laughs> I feel like for me, the the highlight, there was one night where we camped on, uh, like right next to the Grand Canyon. Um, and then like, it was an absolutely great campsite. We had a little fire. It was super cool. Um, and then like waking up in the morning and seeing the Grand Canyon. I've never seen the Grand Canyon um until this and it was like you know you hear people talk about it and uh it was just like indescribable like epic beyond belief and it's one of those things where you know you hear people like go to the uh the statue of liberty and they're like oh yeah it's kind of smaller than i thought like <laughs> people are a little underwhelmed and so i kind of thought the grand canyon was going to be the same thing i'm like i don't know man i've seen some cool rocks before but then like you get there and you're just like this is like pretty fucking cool rock. Unbelievable. Like so, so superlative to any description I've ever heard. It was unreal. Like one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. It was awesome. And then like, I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm always really interested in when these trips come to an end, right? When a trip like this, like they're very obviously formative, but it's not really until things wind down um, and you get to the end, like you guys, had been essentially in the exact like two opposite extremes, right? The pressure cooker of preparing to be, you know, two of the fastest people on earth in an event that happens once every four years on one specific day. And, you know, for like what, like four minutes. Um, and 
then you go and you're just like meandering through the desert on this trip home, right? Like, it's like catching the school bus home. Like, how was that? Um, what was it like when the trip came to the end for you guys? Like, you know, how, how did you feel? Chris, you can go first because like, <laughs> I felt like the trip ended a little bit later for me. Yeah, because you still had to get home. I still had to drive back to Nebraska. I mean, like, when we when we got to L.A., it was, it did sort of feel like we had accomplished maybe the first leg of the journey. But, you know, I still felt a fair bit of unrest uh, and not not quite settled. And so, you know, Ashton had to get back to Nebraska. I ended up going to Arizona uh, to the place I grew up where my dad is. And then eventually up here to Montana. And I feel like it wasn't until I got up here that I felt like my journey kind of ended and I settled. Um, and I think like, like you said, when you're at that, that far of an extreme in preparation and in terms of just level of sport, it takes, it takes a while to kind of come back, you know, especially when you are, you're so, I, I, I've never done anything as all in as I did this last year to try and, you know, to make this team and be as fast as possible. And it was, it was a lot. And I, I think I was kind of in denial during that whole year. And it sort of all came crashing down and like all these realizations of like how much, how deep we were in this, you know, those first couple and of days in LA were like that, just being like, wow, this is, this was heavy. And I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like preparing for an Olympic games and being in that, but to then just be taken out of it, but then essentially like you're kind of getting thrown straight back into it. Like what's next for you? Uh, well, for both of you, right? Chris, you've sort of got the Olympic games tentatively placed in 2021. You have to get kind of get straight back into that headspace, right? Um, how are you doing that? How are you handling that? How is, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it, I actually had maybe fortuitously a forced injury almost immediately once I got out of LA. Um, just a kind of a fluke fluke thing. And it forced me to take as the most amount of time I've ever been off the bike since I started riding. And that helped reset a lot. And the, you know, the drive is back and the fight is back. Um, but I think this next year is going to have to be, I, I think that, you know, when you're trying to make a selection, you really have to do whatever is asked. And, and, you know, I, I love being a part of the team, but I think like I'm going to have to, even if it's just a mindset change, do it a little bit more on my terms this next year. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to being back with the team, but also I have my own goals that I'm working on right now. You know, some of these bigger adventure, longer distance format things um, out here. Tell me about, yeah, like tell me about like what is literally next? Like what are you kind of, you know, occupying your your mind and your time with and, um, and your preparation and how are you sort of using that to prep? Yeah, so I'm definitely goal oriented and it, it, but it's not like, oh, I want to increase my four-minute power again. Like, I, I want that to be a byproduct of working towards something else. And so um, I think the area that I'm out, I'm in right now in Montana is just absolutely gorgeous. I'm right at the eastern tip of the Snowy Mountains. 
And our ranch kind of is, is that last little bump of the mountain range. And I want to do this big gravel ride that goes north up to Eddie's Corner, which is actually on a map, this truck stop diner. West to Lewistown, which is the nearest town, south through the mountains, and then back up again to our ranch. And so that's, you know, that's 112 miles, you know, seven and a half hours with the kind of terrain that we're, we're talking about in the gravel roads. And I want to do a lot of scouting of that route this year and see kind of, you know, what, what time I can put up. And I have visions of inviting back, you know, 20 of my favorite fastest gravel friends, you know, next year um, in the fall to come do this route, be at the ranch, you know, and partake in that kind of experience. Ashton, how do you, you mentioned at the start of, of uh, this conversation that you have had, you've been able to work on some bigger projects that you haven't had the chance um, to over the last three years. What are those projects and, and, and how are they sort of helping you to become, I mean, I'm, I'm making an assumption here that you still want to be the first person to go under four minutes. Um, how, are the, how, how is that kind of timeline playing out now? Um, I actually think it worked out really well. Uh, I'm kind of like, I did a little bit of a roadblock um, after Worlds. You know, just like when you get down to focusing on like one four-minute event, you lose mm-hmm. a little bit of that road fitness. Um, so I did that a little bit and then, uh, you know, the event got pushed back officially, you know, till like November ish. And I was like, oh, okay. Like this is a long time. Like we've got ages. Um, so I've been working with a strength coach for the last three years as well. And, uh, one of my, one of the goals I've wanted to do ever since I started with him was a 300 pound squat. And which doesn't sound like that much, but I feel like for a cyclist, that's a pretty fair bit. And uh, so I've been working on that. Uh, this is like week four of um, just doing gym. I'm doing gym four days a week. I'm riding two days a week. It's crazy. Um, yeah, it's just it's really nice to mix it up. Like, you know, get, it's still super hard, but it's like a totally different kind of hard. And how's that going for you? Good. Um, yeah, I mean, like the weights have been moving up every week. Uh, Friday is always sled day, which is super fun. So you just get to like, just pull heavy shit around. Um, (laughs) and then, yeah, I mean, I guess in the afternoons, then I work at a bike shop two days a week. Um, and then the rest of the time I like do woodworking. So that's been something I've been needing to get onto, but it's like, the, the logs, these big-ass logs have had three years to dry, so like now they're ready to get, get some stuff done. It's good. Dude, you are without a doubt one of a kind. Uh, to, the, to our listeners, they need to go on, you need, they need to, go on to Ashton's um, uh, Instagram and just watch, watch him lifting the weights. I love the little edits. Like There's like a couple angle changes and stuff when you're like pushing these squats. It's, uh, it's, it's really good. <laughs> I do. I Keep do. the production quality really high. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to, this is the last question and this is something I think, this is a, a quote, Ashton, um, that you've said in, a mag, in a, uh, I think it was Bicycling Magazine, but I think, it's, it, I think it pertains pretty well to this situation um, and I kind of want to know what, what the two of you think of it, but, but uh, here's the quote. All rides, whether it's a four or five minute ride or a 24 hour ride, will have points where you feel 
really good. Points where you feel really bad. Um, now, and then this is, I'm speaking for you. Now I just think, I'm really bad right now. This isn't a reflection of me as a person. It's going to pass and dissociate it from my worth as a writer. I feel like that's pretty applicable to this current situation, right? Like, I don't know how. Like, what, 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 what do you go? How, what do you mean by that, Ashton? And and I guess Chris, what do you sort of take from that? Um. Well, I guess I always think about like. Yeah. I mean, even just like at the gym today, uh, you know, I had five sets of squats and it was like, um, you know, after the second set, so I do two sets of 10, three sets of eight. And after the second set of 10, I was just like, oh, fuck, man, like, this is really, I've got three more sets of this, like, holy shit. And I was like, it's okay. You did this last week. Like, you'll be able to bump the weights up. Just like, just trust that you can do it. And that, like, yeah, this, su- this set might suck, but, like, by the time you get to the, the last set, you'll be, like, you'll be golden. It's only one more to go. Um, so I think just trusting in, like, the longevity of the process and be, like, you know, there's definitely, even if you're in a good spot, there's always going to be bad spots. And even if you're in a bad spot, like, there's going to be a good spot later. Um, you know, sometimes those oscillations happen, like, really rapidly, you know, over the course of like, you know, uh, two minutes in one set of, of eight, of eight squats, or like four minutes in a pursuit, you know, you hit lap, you, you, you're like, you, you get your start, you get settled in, and then you look up and you see, you're like, yeah, I'm really good. Uh, and then you start feeling fatigued a little bit and you look up and you're like, oh, fuck, I've still got like, like six more laps to go. Oh my God. That's like 90 seconds. That's so long. So like there's, there's those, you know, peaks and valleys, even in a really short ride, but like trusting that like, all right, it's 90 seconds. Like that is a finite amount of time. It's not going to go on forever. I don't know. I always kind of try to think about stuff like that. It's easier sometimes than others. I feel like you've very succinctly wrapped up in that, in that statement, the metaphor for like how riding a bike can can you know respond to to life in like something i've tried to like wrap up in like years of like making films and like writing shit about riding a bike chris what 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 do you take from that or how do you you know how do you feel about that type of thing right this is sort of a you know this is definitely a very uh down period in uh in the scheme of things yeah i i mean i definitely know those sensations really well from, you know, everything from the, the 4k team pursuit to the, you know, five and a half hour gravel race. There's, you go through all these different states and they come in different orders every time. But I think, you know, when I was before track, I was doing cyclocross. And one of the main differences is that, especially in new England, you get you get two opportunities to race UCI level racing every weekend and it goes on for the entirety of the fall and winter. So you have so many races and through the course of the season. And so your performance varies a lot. And sometimes you'd hit, you'd be on a high and you'd be riding well. And other times you'd hit this lull and you just, you know, you can't stop crashing or you are always losing the front group or, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it, 
it was really difficult the first the first time through that pattern is always really difficult because you you don't know that it's a finite you know you don't have enough collective experience to realize that it's only for a finite duration right this this will not last forever and that kind of yeah it seeps into the rest of your life that perspective or that awareness and the the phrase that i've always thought about with that sort of that sensation is that i am mid bounce so i'm not i'm not low i'm not you know in a rut but i am mid bounce and so you have to have that low point where you're collecting all of this potential energy um so that you can spring back up and be on a, on a high again and you're on mid bounce on the way up Yes, that that is the goal. Yeah, exactly. Hell yeah. Well, guys, this has been fantastic. Anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to add? No, this is this is a it's a big it's it's pretty heavy, but it's also, you know, kind of um I mean, yeah, lots of parallels to all sorts of things in life, right? Yeah. Exactly right, and I feel like um you know, there's no other way to say it. Like things have been pretty shit, and they and you know, and they're sort of they sometimes they're shitter than other thing and than other times. But but I feel like you know, there's a lot of learning to be um, had and and done during this period. And and I like in the end, like right, we're all people. Like the gold medal around your neck or the four kilometer pursuit time doesn't take doesn't change Chris or Aston like who you are that much right and so like I think there's a little bit of that going on well certainly for me anyway like a little bit of uh, recalibration of what I measure as success and and that sort of stuff so I think you know all good will come but appreciate your time guys it's been fantastic it's been nice to to hang out for a minute yeah yeah thanks for having us exactly yeah thank you awesome And that's our show for the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can read Chris and Ashton's account of their road trip over at our website, thereabouts.co slash blog. Please subscribe to the show and tell all of your friends about it, even people who aren't your friends. Just stop them in the street and, uh, and tell them about it and make sure that they subscribe. Stand there, get them to open the phone, open their podcasting app, watch them hit subscribe you can do it guys you can uh, direct them or yourselves to Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you want to find and subscribe this episode as well as a catalogue of really great stuff from some really incredible interesting characters that are thinking and acting in sport differently we won't have a show next week unfortunately we are out on location and as of tomorrow completely out of range we promise we have a new film dropping in the next two weeks Uh, in light of the events of the past month we as well as our distributors um, made the decision to postpone the launch of the film um, as there are far more important stories that need to be heard uh, and listened to at the moment that's all for this week reporting from the high deserts of the western plains I am Angus Morton. Take it easy, sports fans. Thank you.